All right, welcome to the La Plata Family Therapy Podcast, where moms, dads, and caregivers can get parenting strategies to support their children who struggle with anxiety, anger, or big life transitions so they can have confidence in their parenting skills. I'm the host, Hilary Wolf, and today I'm talking with guest Angela Howell. Angela is an occupational therapist here with La Plata Family Therapy. Angela, um, can you tell us a little bit about what your role is here at La Plata Family Therapy? Yeah, I'm an occupational therapist, and my job is to evaluate kids of all ages um, for things that interfere in their daily life skills. And so for kids, daily life skills involve um, school time um, and family time, and anything that is disrupting those environments is something that I can evaluate and treat. Very cool. All right. Well, today we were going to take some time to talk about sensory processing disorder and kind of what it is and getting into it. So my first um, question for you, Angela, is, um, you know, sensory, we often hear about sensory processing disorder in the, um, with occupational therapy, um, but can you explain what it is for people that aren't familiar Yeah. So, you know, in school, we learned we had five senses, touch, taste, smell, hearing, and seeing. Um, There are also three other senses um, called proprioception, vestibular, and interoception. Um, So total, we have eight senses. And those senses are how we interact with our world. Um, It's how our brain takes information from our world and processes it and then reacts to it. And so sensory processing is that brain process that's working. And if for whatever reason the brain is having difficulty with either taking in the information or filtering it um, or reacting to it, then that's when we say we have sensory processing difficulties. And if the difficulties are severe enough, it can be called a disorder. Okay. Um, So can you share a little bit about what, um, you know, how the disorder can affect kids? What shows up for them when they have this disorder? Yeah. So if you think of sensory processing on a spectrum, And if the middle of the spectrum is everything is a-okay. And then on one side of the spectrum, you have what we call hyposensitivity or under-responsiveness. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have hypersensitivity or over-responsiveness. If you're on either side of that spectrum, it can really affect how you interact with your world. So for example, um, someone who is hyper, so over-responsive, might not like certain clothing textures or may not like certain textures of food. Um, And so when you have kids who refuse to wear long pants um, or refuse to brush their teeth, that is probably some sort of hypersensitivity to touch. 
Um, and you can have this spectrum of under-responsiveness or over-responsiveness to any of those eight senses. Um, another example would be uh, a kid who is hypo-responsive, so under-responsive um, to proprioception, um, is a kid who craves movement. And they have to be moving all the time because their system isn't registering the little movements that they do as being enough. So they have to have these huge movements. They're always flipping and turning and crashing into things. Um, and it's fun to play that way. But when you're supposed to be sitting in class, you really shouldn't be slamming into the walls. So that's how it can affect daily skills. Um, one other example is if someone is hyper, so over-responsive to sounds, um, they can, any sound can be super distracting. So things that if you're in the middle of that spectrum, you wouldn't even notice, like maybe a fan of an air conditioner um, or you're in a building and there's a street outside with cars going by, most of us can just, our brain just filters that out as non-important, and so it doesn't pay attention to it. But if you're hypersensitive to it, you hear every time that fan comes on, and you hear every car that goes by, and if that's the case, then you lose the ability to concentrate on other things because your brain is concentrating on every single little sound. So those are ways that throughout our day, it can really affect what we're trying to do if we're on either side of that spectrum. Thank you, yeah, no, that's very informative. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on how sensory processing disorder is tied into, you've touched, you touched on it a bit, but tied into, um, you know, behaviors that we might see from kids that we might not realize could be, you know, connected to sensory disorder? Yeah. So, you know, one big point to, to get across is that all behavior is a result of or a reaction to a stimulus. Now that stimulus can be something inside of us, like I have a belly ache and I'm really sad about that and I have behavior, or it can be a stimulus from the outside world that our brain is trying to make sense of. Um, but every behavior is a form of communication almost, telling us that something that we're interacting with is not um, not not well for us. It, it's it's bothering us. Um, so that's one thing to remember is that behavior is not just behavior. Behavior is a reaction to something, um, and the something is all of those senses. So it can be any of the five senses from the outside world. So the sight, sound, smell, touch, um, or hearing, or it could be any of the senses from our inside world, which is our proprioception and our vestibular and our interoception senses. Um, so for example, we'll, we'll pick some behaviors that we typically see um, or hear that kids are exhibiting. Um, one, 
you know, you're going grocery shopping and you have your kiddo with you and he's totally fine for five, six, seven minutes. And then all of a sudden, seemingly out of the blue, he just starts screaming and crying and melts down in the middle of the, of the grocery store, is laying on the floor. You have no idea what happened. There wasn't like an incident. Um, and you can't seem to really calm them down either. Well, what if we said and figured out that that kid was hypersensitive, so over-responsive to sound and vision? A grocery store is very visually busy. Tons of colors, tons of shapes, tons of people. And it's very loud. People are talking. There's usually a radio playing overhead. Um, So all of a sudden, they just got so overwhelmed by those senses that they couldn't handle it. And their only form of communicating that was to break down and cry. Because they can't tell you, I see too many colors right now. Right? They can't tell you there are too many people talking right now. All they can do is know that it doesn't feel good and I, I'm, I'm upset about it, right? So um, other behaviors that we, that we typically see is um, like you'll get a phone call from your kid's teacher that says that he knocked over five <laughs> people on the playground today. Oh, goodness. Right? Um, And again, if we go back to thinking about it, what if we found out that that kid was hyposensitive or under-responsive to proprioception and vestibular senses and therefore was craving those huge body movements and the huge input of hitting things or pushing things. And it's not really that he's trying to be mean to his friends. He just is like, hey, to me, it feels really great to go smash into you. Doesn't it feel great to you? (laughs) But it may not feel so great to that other kid, right? So um, behavior isn't in a vacuum. It's not just that that kid woke up that morning and decided that they were going to slam into four of their friends. It's a reaction to the fact that he felt like his body needed something else, and that was the only way he could figure out to get it. So things like that are how behavior ties in to the sensory processing. Okay. Well, that is very interesting and very informative, but then I think that leads us to the question of what do we do? So if we notice a kid that is having these behaviors and we're thinking that might be connected to sensory processing disorder, you know, if they come and see you and get evaluated, how, what would the treatment look like? What do we, what do we do to help those kids? Yeah. So there's one approach called sensory integration, and that's a key word that we hear a lot um, when dealing with sensory processing disorders. Um, and, and the goal of sensory integration is to pick each individual sense, figure out if it's hypo or hypersensitive, and then um, build a plan to either desensitize if it's hyper 
or increase awareness if it's hypo. Um, and, 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 and it's important to be said that this spectrum is, is fluid. Um, just because you're hyposensitive one day doesn't mean that you might not have periods of hypersensitivity. Um, but typically you'll see a pattern in a sense. Um, so you can say that in general, hearing is hypersensitive. Um, and in general, proprioception is hyposensitive. So you can find that in a kid. Um, so you find where they are on that spectrum with each sense. You build a plan to either increase awareness or decrease sensitivity um, to that sense. And you would have to do that with each sense that was found to be on a side of the spectrum. Um, the other approach is to really look at why is the brain having a hard time filtering and reacting to this sense. Um, and we know that when the brain is best organized, um, it is better at filtering these senses and reacting to them in an appropriate way. Um, if the brain isn't as organized, it has more trouble with that. And one of the ways that we know that the brain becomes well organized is uh, when we're a baby, we have primitive reflexes and each reflex has a job to do. And then that reflex is supposed to disappear when it's no longer needed. And when it's no longer needed, it means the brain has been wired well for what that job was. Um, and so a lot of times we will see kids and people, I mean, adults have sensory processing issues too, but um, since we're working in a pediatric world right mm -hmm. now, um, when we see kids that have sensory issues, a lot of times we can test their primitive reflexes and those primitive reflexes will let us know if their brain is really as well wired and well developed as it can be. Um, and if we find that it's not, we can work on it and we can improve that, that organization in the brain and we can improve um, that wiring so that the brain is better able to filter all of that information that comes in. So I think using both approaches um, is the best way to go uh, because one deals with the specific sense and one deals with the overall issue, which is the brain filtering and the brain reacting. Um, so using them both in conjunction is the best way to go. Okay. So one thing as we were talking that comes to mind for me is um, that oftentimes kids aren't going to get a diagnosis of sensory processing disorder, say from their primary care provider or from a therapist. And so what are the diagnoses yeah. that often you hear, and maybe this isn't all inclusive, but, you know, do come up and typically, you know, there is a sensory component that goes along with them. Yeah. Um, you know, I would say ADHD is a big one. Um, I think 
kids who fit in that picture of can't sit still, can't concentrate, um, are always distracted. Those are the kids that, that we'll see get ADHD diagnoses. Um, and you know, there's probably a fine line of, are they really ADHD or are they really sensory processing? Um, or maybe they're really a combination of both. Um, but I would say that is a big one. That's a big diagnosis that I think Mm -hmm. would greatly benefit from some, um, some the occupational therapy in order to kind of test a little bit of both sides of that world. Um, the other one would be emotional regulation diagnoses, um, whether it's anxiety or depression, um, or anything, you know, in, in that kind of realm of things, because our senses are attacked are attached to our emotions. Um, and, and so, you know, for example, if you always had such a great time cooking with your mom and one day you smell something that smelled just like something you cooked with your mom one time, it gives you a happy feeling, right? Like it, it gives you a comforting feeling. And that's an emotion that was attached to a sense, right? You smelled something and it, and it brought out an emotion. Now it would be great if they only brought out good emotions, right? But some (laughs) senses bring out, some senses bring out bad emotions. Um, you know, if you feel like every long sleeve shirt that you put on is absolutely scratching your skin, you get upset about that. And that's a bad emotion, right? Or not bad emotion. It's an emotion. And so then every time you see a long sleeve shirt, the emotion of feeling scratchy and upset can happen even though you didn't put on the shirt. You just saw the shirt. Um, so, so any of the emotional regulation stuff can, can tie back to sensory sometimes, not all the times. I mean, sometimes there are emotional things that are caused by, by other events. Um, but it can be connected. And if it is, then we can go back and work on those senses, um, to try to make that sense not so provoking of emotion. Um, as you were talking about that, what came to mind to, uh, for me was um, autism spectrum disorder. Um, do you, do you yeah. agree that that one is a big one also with the sensory, often has a sensory component? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, a lot of kids on the, on the autism spectrum have an interesting mix of hyposensitive and hypersensitive. Mm. Um, you know, you also, you often hear about, um, about kids with autism who are self-stemming and self-stemming is a way to get input. So whether it's self-stemming because, because they're looking at their, at their shaking fingers or because they want that visual input 
or if it's self-stimming, you know, shaking things around because they're looking for that proprioceptive input. Um, but then they also cannot, they get overwhelmed. They, they are hypersensitive to lots of noise or crowded places. Um, so, so yeah, autism spectrum disorders definitely have a big sensory piece, um, attached to them. Um, well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. This is really helpful and informative. Is there any other pieces around sensory processing or anything that you'd like to touch on? You know, I think the biggest thing is just as parents, um, we have to try to be detectives and try to think about why um, a certain behavior or action is happening and not just assume that um, it's just my, my kid being bad today, <laughs> right? Um, or not just assume that he just doesn't like brushing his teeth and that's why he's screaming about it. So if we can just kind of take a step back and try to notice patterns um, in behavior and then be able to relay those kinds of patterns that you see to a therapist, um, it can greatly help try to figure out exactly where on that sensory spectrum um, that your child may, may lie. Uh, and then that way it makes the process of trying to figure out the next steps a little bit easier. So just be a little detective. Okay. Um, I love that. Um, so if, you know, if someone's watching us and they decide that, you know, seeing an OT might be really helpful, um, if they wanted to get in touch with you, how would they do so? Yeah, so I work at La Plata Family Therapy in Durango, Colorado. Um, the phone number is 970-769-0131. Or you can go to our website at uh, laplatafamily.com and you can request an appointment there. Uh, and we will get back to you and get you scheduled. Awesome. Well, Angela, thank you so much for joining today. Um, all right, folks, yeah. and thank you so much for listening. Um, if you found this conversation useful, please subscribe to our podcast and please join me again next time. Um, and yeah, have a great day.